I'm working on a novel. It is a story of my life and my sister's. Make it short and spicy. And if the main character is a girl, make sure she's married by the end. Ow, Joe! I want to be an artist in Rome and be the best painter in the world. That's what you want too, isn't it, Joe? To be a famous writer? Yes, but it sounds so crass when she says it. My girls have a way of getting into mischief. Well, so do I. This is Meg, Amy, Beth, and Joe. Hello, and welcome to Step and Repeat, a weekly movie and award season podcast. I am your co-host, Andrew. And I'm your other co-host, Matt. And we are here to talk about our last main feature of 2019, the movie Little Women. Woohoo! I mean, aww. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. Well, this isn't. Well, this isn't our last show. Like, we're gonna have some special episodes in store. Oh, for, uh, yeah, thank goodness. Like, the best of the year and best of the decade lists. Oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, always look forward to those. Oh. So those will be exciting. Well, we haven't done a best of the decade in uh, ten years. <laughs> ten years, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is our last show for a while with uh, a main feature segment about one movie. So. Once January kicks into gear, too, we'll have some uh, special themed episodes for you. And uh, we want to hear from our listeners. We want to hear from you. So we want to hear, like, what topics you want to hear about or want us to talk about. Uh, so, you know, for example, are there any movies from 2019 that we haven't covered that you'd like us to talk about? Uh, can we help explain something to you guys? Like, the difference between Oscar categories? Like, best editing versus best cinematography uh or like big topics like box office or like the disney behemoth or marvel movies you know kind of broad categories you know the floor is yours so um yeah so like if you like the guests um please please uh shoot us an email with your ideas or if you'd like to guest um Love to hear from you. Our email is stepandrepeatpod at gmail.com. And I think we'll go ahead and create threads on our Facebook page and Twitter handle. So which you can find that at facebook.com slash stepandrepeatpod and at repeatsteppod on Twitter. But we're always loving, we always love to hear from our listeners. Well, speaking of hearing from our listeners, we actually did get a listener Ooh. question. Uh, yay, surprise. Oh, <laughs> so. great, great way to end the year. <laughs> yay. Yeah. Um, so should I just go ahead yeah, and read it? Yeah, or... yeah. hear it. Okay, cool. So this one comes from um, Jenny, uh, and she asks, Hi, Andrew and Matt. Love the podcast. Oh, thanks, Thank you. Um, While well, my boyfriend and I were looking for a movie to watch the other day, we came across Jack and Jill. Classic. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) Which has an astonishing 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) It got me wondering, what would be your lowest rated movie and why? That is a great question, Jenny. Um, There are um, a broad range of movies that I detest. Um, Some that are a little more popular than others. For example, I hate the movie Inception, and a lot of people love it. Um, and so it's fu- funny enough, I hate the movie Inception for a lot of reasons. People love the movie Inception. Um, I do not like what 
well, one, I don't like the director. Um, I think, I think what he did with the movie was awful, and I don't like the direction he took, uh, where it just would not stop piling on and on and on and on. Um, it's also been a long time since I've seen Inception, um, so you'll have to forgive me that I can't remember all the details why I hate it. Um, but I can say, like, I have a, like a least favorite movie of the year. Um, I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah. Like, do we want to? I don't know if you do or Andrew I, I, or not. I, but or I do, do too. Do you want to talk about that now, or do you want to wait for our best of the year podcast? Um, I think we can we can chat a little bit about it now, um, because we are talking about our least favorite movies yeah. of the year. So this kind of could be like our Razzie segment, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. because just because it's kind of answering the listener question. Yeah. Um. So like, I have I have a lot of favorite movies of the year, which we'll talk about uh, in the com- coming weeks, um, or coming days, but. I'm trying to pull it up here. I have my list here. Um, so my lowest rated movie of the year. Uh, come on, this thing needs to load. Um, so I don't, this never came out in theaters, um, but my least favorite movie of the year was, came out on Netflix. It was called Wine Country. Um, oh, yeah. It had like Amy Poehler <laughs> and Maya Rudolph, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I hated it so much as, because I thought it was going to be so great and it just turned out being such a dud. Um, I thought the script was terrible. The script was just really poorly written. The movie was just boring. It was so boring. And it's like a movie that I thought was going to be hilarious. And it just was so bad. Um, A few of my other least favorites of the year were, isn't it romantic with rebel Wilson? Um, Another terrible script, just not funny, just stupid acting was stupid all around. Um, I did not like that movie Blinded by the Light, the one about, oh, yeah. like, about like the Bruce Springsteen songs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not my thing. Um, it was like a musical, and I don't like Bruce Springsteen. Um, and I, I just thought it was poorly written. So there's like a theme here. Like I don't like poorly written movies. Um, and I don't like movies that just like, like, just don't blend well together. Uh, like I don't know. It's hard to explain, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if you want to expand. And oh, it's also if you want to take a listen to our cats episode that we put out last week. Um, there's also an example of movies that, well, at least I don't like. I know Andrew felt a little differently than I did, but <laughs> well, so it's, that's a great segue too, um, because for this year at least, uh, I don't think I can put it. I don't think I can put it upon myself to put cats as like the worst of the year because I mentioned this in our episode. It is such in its own category that, like, it's unclassifable. <laughs> and, like, there's... Yeah. It's just, it is what it is. And so I, I just can't bring it upon myself to put it in the worst. It's just because of how bizarre it is. And so yeah. that for that reason alone, uh, it, I mean, that movie has haunted me. But <laughs> <laughs> probably, <It's> ha- yeah. <laughs> It seems to be haunting a lot of people. Uh, probably for the worst, but I'm still <laughs> thinking about it. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we are. And people are talking about it. Still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at least it's, I mean, hey, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. So Exactly. Well, I mean, I don't think the box office numbers are a great reflection of it, but so, some people, some people saw yeah, it. So. It's like, it's interesting not to belabor too much on cats right now, but it's interesting to see the box office because the box office is just like a little bit lower than what the greatest showman was a couple years ago. 
And so The Greatest Showman went on to make bank. And but that at least had slightly better word of mouth <laughs> than Cats mm-hmm. does. So like it'll be interesting to see like where it lands um at the end of the day. I think the reviews are gonna be gonna keep people away. <laughs> so I don't think it'll it'll make as much money as the greatest showman, but I have a I have a not to dwell on cats, but I have a feeling people are like gonna be like like seeing it like like they're gonna be closet seeing it like when it comes out on like Netflix or whatever. I think you're gonna see a huge rise in um not popularity but viewership when it comes out like out of theaters. I think a lot of people are actually very curious to see Oh, absolutely. But that's just that's just my theory. Yeah, and well you know what they say about curiosity and cats. So (laughs) (laughs) this movie will kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Well uh somehow I survived but (laughs) uh so so it's not Cats is not my least favorite movie of the year. It's funny that you mentioned Wine Country as your least favorite movie of the year because I think my least favorite movie of the year is the worst movie of the year for similar reasons. And my worst movie of the year is the movie The Kitchen, which oh so bad. Yeah, yeah. oh that's so bad. Uh, which came out this summer, and you uh, would be forgiven if you forgot this movie existed, uh, yeah. because it it starred Melissa McCarthy, uh, Elizabeth Moss, and Tiffany Haddish. About they essentially they were these wives of these like mobsters who end up in jail, and then they kind of like take over the neighborhood in uh, Hell's Kitchen in New York. Uh, which on paper sounds like interesting. Uh, however, the execution of this movie is so off that it's like shocking that it was made and with the talent attached to it. So mm-hmm. like uh, given those three lead actresses who are all great in their own right, they are just like, it's so horribly mis cast in the sense that like they don't have any chemistry together and it's it's unclear that you're what you're watching some of the moments are like so bad they're laughable because like they're phoning it in is like for particularly another actor uh donald gleason who's like in it for like five minutes and it's like donald gleason's doing this like horrible accent all the accents are horrible and it's all over the place and just given the talent attached to this movie should have been so much better even just like minorly bad but i i was like so let down because of what it could have been and what it actually was and yeah it was boring like it wasn't interesting it was like half funny half not like i thought i parts I thought it was like supposed to be a comedy because it's like Melissa McCarthy and Tiffany Haddish, but like not at all. (laughs) So it's totally all over the place and nothing about it works. Yeah. Um, So when, when I read this user question, I actually, I kind of went on like a little um, uh, Google uh, uh, rabbit hole. Um, So I actually came across an article from Newsweek about terrible films and what makes terrible movies. Um, so I will, I'll, um, post a link to this when we post the, uh, podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, they go into detail about like, um, some of like the worst movies of all time. So they actually mentioned Jack and Jill, um, like Battlefield Earth, um, just some like 
movies that have been really panned by critics like Zoolander 2, Batman vs. Superman. Um, so the Razzies every year actually are, are given out before the week before the Oscars. And those are going gone to like, quote unquote, the worst movies of the year. Um, but in here it says, um, what makes terrible movies? So what is it that makes a bad movie? Just because critics pan, pan a film doesn't mean it won't be a box office success. And likewise, just because the critics love a movie doesn't mean it will be a commercial triumph. Um, just look at Batman versus Superman in 2016, nominated for numerous Razzies. Um, it was 27% of Rotten Tomatoes and yet made $850 million worldwide. Um, so bad movies panned by critics can also be like just huge box office successes. Um, but like people like people were very split on like Batman versus Superman. Like, I guess like some people who are true fans of the comic didn't really love the movie because it wasn't true to the comic and it just was very bad. Um, but the article goes on to say, um, it must be noted that one doesn't have to be a terrible actor. Like they talk about the act, they go into acting. Um, they don't have to be a terrible actor to display some truly awful acting. Some Oscar winners, um, have tuned or have turned in some truly woeful performances in their time. Just look up Michael Caine in Jaws the Revenge or Al Pacino in Geely. Um, so this mo- so this article is really saying that like it's really dependent on the filmmakers, not necessarily like the actors. So um, you can have some of the greatest actors of all time in one of the worst written movies like ever made. Um, and people will flock to see movies because like actors are or some like certain actors are in it. Um, yeah, I think so, yeah, I, it's that that is I think the key to like quote unquote what a bad movie is because yeah. as a viewer you're like self-selecting what movies you want to watch. So you tend to watch a movie that you think you're going to like. So yeah. like you're going to avoid a movie that you think looks bad and like whether that looks bad because like you don't like the actors in it or you don't like the plot or you don't like certain things. You just kind of, you go in with biases. Like as much as we want to pretend that we don't go into movies with, with no bias, we do. But we do. We always do. Yeah. So like, you know, and also there's like things like there are movies, like there are like bad movies where we know we're going to watch like, like Friday the 13th. Like we know it's a bad movie, but it's like, it's campy and like, it's a bad, good movie. So it's like, we know it's bad, but it's like fun to watch. Whereas like, um, the article also talks about like bad, bad movies that are just like dull and boring and like filmmaker just cannot commit to like a script. And those are just like such a chore to watch. So, um, yeah, yeah. Like, so it, there's like, there's like differences there. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah. Like, and I think this kind of gets to your point with you not liking Inception, which stay tuned uh, because that director will definitely appear on my top 10 of the decade. <laughs> just, no, just fair yeah. warning. But oh, I, I know so we'll, we will really, <laughs> I'm ready for it. We will relitigate this debate, but for Nolan, uh, yep. no, but uh, I, I got the gloves on. Yeah. Andrew. I got the gloves on ready to go. But to your, to your point, there are like kind of, there are multiple layers of bad movies. So like a movie that I despise and think about, think, I hate it more and more that I think about, but is an Oscar winning movie. One, I think like four Oscars, like last year was Bohemian Rhapsody. I think that movie is like God awful, terrible. And it's like <laughs> bad for like multiple reasons, um, you know, because of the editing, because of its like crappy director, um, because of its like paint by the numbers story, like that has, already been parried um parodied in 
um, like Dewey Cox walk hard, <laughs> walk hard. So like uh, there, are, yeah, so- but it's like classified as like a good movie, and I still hate it. But so there's there's, there's those types of movies, and then yeah, so that that just falls into like different perceptions. Yeah. Um, like I love Bucky Meter Rhapsody. I think it's great. But yeah, and I love and I love Inception. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah. then there's the other side of things too. Like, I think of a movie like The Room, which is so bad, and it's now turned into it's so bad, it's good. Yeah, that's a bad, good movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's horrible. Like, if you didn't know its kind of cult status, if you watched The Room, it would just you would turn it off because there's nothing interesting about it. But yeah. Because we know it's <laughs> so bad. awkward to watch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we know it's bad, so we watch it. And yes, like, is it technically a horrible, horrible film? <laughs> yes. So and uh, and people and people know it's a horrible movie, but but they watch it because it's so bad. So yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, those would like kind of. That's how I would like classify the lowest. I mean, sometimes it's your expectations not being met, like for like the kitchen or wine country. Sometimes it's a movie that's praised that you think is awful, like uh, like Bohemian Rhapsody or Inception. And sometimes it's just like a movie that's so bad it's good, like The Room or Cats. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's multiple ways, like reasons why movies can be considered quote-unquote bad um but some people some people's trash is another person's treasure so it's all a matter of perception um so thank you so much for the question we're going to post that newsweek article in there uh when we uh, post the podcast um there's a lot of really good information and a lot of good like um ideas in there about what makes a bad movie like a good movie versus a bad movie so it's from newsweek so um it's a legit source but um (laughs) yeah yeah not (laughs) so not fake news (laughs) yeah not fake news (laughs) um thank you so much for the question jenny we appreciate it yeah jenny coming yeah Yeah, great question great anyway should we uh dive into our movie of the week i was trying to think of a a I know dad joke segue there, but I just couldn't do it. Well, <laughs> I hope that this isn't a movie that uh, you consider awful. <laughs> uh, but uh, our movie of the week, we will get to my review. Yeah, uh, <laughs> is, is Little Women, the the classic story, and uh, I guess I'll start off like with a kind of quick recap. Even though you've had 150 years to know this story. <laughs> <laughs> there should be no excuse exactly but i'll uh, uh, but uh, but actually <laughs> I, I... <laughs> i'll give it like uh... a quick quick recap at least uh so little women is the new adaptation based on the classic louisa may alcott novel little women and uh again i kind of find this funny when people ask about the plot because it's really just about little women, little women. <laughs> you know yeah. just the way cats is about cats yeah. so it's pretty straightforward uh but uh kind of more specifically it follows the four sisters of the march family or meg joe beth and amy and you follow them as they grow up from teenagers to young adults in concord massachusetts in the 1860s so it's the civil war era but uh, 
the main character is Joe, who in this movie is played by Saoirse Ronan. And she's like a strong-willed, kind of a tomboy and an author. So she is and has always been a stand-in for the real-life author, Louisa May Alcott. Louisa May Alcott, yeah. yeah. And, and then quickly the others, there's Meg, who's played by Emma Watson. She's the oldest, somewhat matronly and romantic at heart. And then you have Amy, who's played by Florence Pugh, who's the youngest. She's really ambitious and determined. And then you have Beth, who's played by Eliza Scanlon. And she's like the sweet, timid, um, the sweet, timid uh, little woman. And she's also, she's kind of known for being the sickly one. But uh, the, the book originally was published in two parts in 1868 and 1869. So it's been 150 years, like we said. And uh, part one takes place when they're teenagers and uh and part two kind of takes place when they're uh young adults and in this new version in this new 2019 version um the writer director greta gerwig who did the movie Lady Bird, uh she kind of flips those timelines on its head so this movie actually jumps back and forth in time when they're between when they're younger and their older selves yeah and and correct me if i'm wrong i believe it's seven years Yes. Yeah. Roughly. I mean, so in at the very beginning of the movie, they say it's like a seven year difference, but the two timelines still move forward. So it's like it it doesn't like match up perfectly. So it's like it takes place when all said and done, it kind of takes place over the course of like a little roughly 10 years. And uh but I actually think the um, the time, the two timelines serves the movie really well. Uh, I think it makes for like a more interesting narrative structure, but it also kind mm-hmm. of um, lessens some of the blow of how the story concludes. Like the ending has always been pretty controversial and we'll, we'll get into the ending in a little bit later. This is our kind of spoiler free segment, but uh, yeah, the endings always, always been a little controversial and but you see a lot of that happen like in the beginning uh of the story now so um it makes for like a more sort of interesting movie and kind of adds like a new sort of lens to it um so yeah so i've i've done a lot of talking now but um matt what did you what did you think uh so um so let me back up a little bit. Um, I think I had to read Little Women, uh, the two parts, when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Maybe. I can't remember. Um, I have always hated Little Women. I have never understood the point of it. <laughs> um, I've always thought it was very boring. I can't relate to it at all. I couldn't. I could never relate to it. Um, so obviously, I had my reservations going to see this. Um, I was. I, I, I just, I've always been so bored by the story. I like never understood the point. Um, so that being said, I knew Greta Gerwig was going to, coming from seeing Lady Bird, uh, I knew she was going to do something different with this. And I was expecting that. Um, and she, she, so from my point of view, um, I really, when the movie was said and done, all said and done, I enjoyed it a lot more. 
um, as an adult, looking back, uh, I guess I, I don't know if I liked like the story more now that I'm older and can appreciate the different themes of the movie or that Greta Gerwig did such a good job with this that I, I that my expectations were just so high and I and they were met so so I, I, I don't do you know do you am I yeah sense? I, I I think you're completely making sense and yeah. I don't want to speak for you but I think it might be the latter I think it yeah. I think it's more probably to a more Greta Gerwig's credit and uh you're not the first person who's I've talked to who kind of doesn't understand the hype around the story, Little Women. Yeah. Uh, but so, <laughs> but, I, but also, I'm like I can't really relate. <laughs> so. um, uh, but now, you, at least when I was younger. Yeah. I, I well, okay. So this is the point that I was going to make about um, Greta Gerwig, and this has to do with the splitting of the timelines too. So the movie starts when they're older, and uh, specifically Joe. And it's kind of Joe, like, looking back on her life, like, growing up with three sisters. Uh, and, like, it's it's very nostalgic. Nostalgic mm-hmm. in, I think, the sort of traditional sense of, like, it's a very warm, like, the... It's a very warm and hearty movie. So, and you see this in the way that it's edited because it's edited in this like timeline jump. Yeah. So she's like flashing back the, um, the scenes in the past uh, have like a golden sort of hue. And whereas like the adult scenes are, have like chillier tones, like bluish tones. Oh, so, I never, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good second. Well, like, and that's, I mean, that's kind of to like reflect of, you know, the nostalgic sort of factor of mm-hmm. we always see our childhoods as like these amazing sort of experiences. And then we grow up and as we grow up, we become like more hardened and like care less about the world or, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> or at least more cynical. <laughs> so yeah. uh, like lately, I've just been feeling like we're all just kind of here. Doing yeah. Things. So <laughs> And so, like, you you see that in the film of, like, way more because of this, um, this, time, this time split than you would if the story was told chronologically. And um, yeah. it would be, like, it would be really depressing, like, to watch it chronologically. And, I mean, it kind of is, like, the depressing second... And, depressing and very slow, I think, it would just be boring. Yeah. So, like, a lot of people don't like the... Um, the second half, uh, or certain aspects of the second half. And I won't, um, we'll, we'll again, say that's sort of the spoiler parts, but what, what this movie's kind of, or what the story's known for is like the first half when they're like pretty young, like in their teens and, um, just kind of prancing around. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would say like 95% of the story is like feel good coming of age prancing around being you know little women (laughs) well then they grow up (laughs) so i well then things happen and um this let's like i think this is a great uh, time to talk about uh the cast too especially when they're younger so when yeah i i'd like i want to touch on that yeah yeah. so like when they're younger when they're like again like prancing around like just being a family they're together a lot like this is a straight sort of ensemble and when they're older they're all separated so uh, this kind of like gives them an opportunity to like show like 
to show the cast chemistry together and like their chemistry is so incredibly good uh number one i'm shocked it didn't get a sag um ensemble nomination after seeing this because like i can't think of a cast that is like gelled better and uh two like this is again i think to greg gerwig's uh, credit too because she was able to get like two weeks rehearsal time before they started shooting. So That's like heard of. I that know. Is heard of. Yeah. So they like all rehearsed together and it shows because like they actually act like a family. Mm. Like they talk over each other and they <laughs> just like act like in these like sibling rivalry ways and it's like it's warm they're annoying and they just like had these whole mixture of emotions together and fun, fun fact Greta, Greta Gerwig does not allow cell phones on set so oh. I think that's another reason yeah that's another reason that I feel like the cast is a little more strongly bonded because they didn't have those distractions I did not know that I mean yeah that like, yeah. clearly um clearly shows and yeah she did she, she it's the same role that applied on Lady Bird as well so. cool yeah uh, just a little I think I think almost everyone's like perfectly cast in this movie. Like mm-hmm. there's uh, I I can't point out like a weak link really. I can point yeah. out like strong I can I can point out the strong strong links. Yeah. So, so okay, so I want to chat a little bit about um younger versus older uh actresses and this the characters. So <sighs> I I'm probably going to get in a lot of what do, go ahead. Oh well, I was gonna guess. Like, do you take like issue with like them play like a twenty-three-year-old playing like yes. a twelve-year-old? Yeah. Yes, and I'm yeah. gonna get a lot of pushback on this, but <laughs> most notably, um, Florence Pugh, I did not believe as a younger ten-year-old Beth. Um, uh, Amy. A- sorry, Amy. Uh, Beth was um, what's her name? Eliza Scanlon. Eliza Scanlon. She was the one in uh, Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects uh, on HBO. Yeah. yeah. So, so Beth and Amy. Actually, yeah, the two of them. Um, I. It was very, very hard for me to believe uh, them playing very young girls, um, mirroring their older selves, going back and forth. Um, I think it would. I don't. I. I would be curious to see what it would have been like if they would have had maybe different actresses play the younger girls um, just because it, for me, it was a little frustrating um, going, watching so many jumps back and forth between these girls. Um, and like, if you leave the theater for like two minutes to go to the bathroom, you can get really confused if, if, if you're not following along um, just uh, like you, you all, you do pick up on like, you know, how the hair's done and, the makeup's done a little differently between the younger and the older Beth and Amy. Um, I didn't have a problem with the, the two older sisters um, uh, played by uh, Saoirse Ronan and Emma Watson. Um, but the two younger ones, I definitely had an issue with Does uh, I don't know. Does that make sense? Like, so I uh, no, it, 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 it makes sense. Uh, I, um, I, I've been thinking about this a little bit too, and it's similar to the Irishman in the sense that I actually think, I think it's like good to look at, you know, kind of like the same face to see a character progression. Mm -hmm. I think this applies more to Amy and Florence Pugh than it does to um, 
Beth and uh, Eliza Scanlon, mostly because Beth doesn't get a whole lot to do in the second half. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, she and Amy is like the it gets the most the best stuff to do in this movie in my opinion and mm-hmm. um i think florence Pugh is incredible in in this role and, i think florence Pugh is great yeah and uh, i think that has to do with her character progression because she shows so much range in this movie from being a kind of bratty 12 year old to being a um you know this like observant uh dedicated and ambitious like young yeah. woman but and it was just and... it was just difficult for me to see her play that bratty 12 year old because i know she is she is what like 23 or 24 it it's very hard for me to believe the um the only scene that like i think that it was possibly distracting and again this is like nitpicky for me but there's like a scene where she's in school and like she's surrounded by like by very young girls by other like actual 12 year olds that was awkward to watch and like there's a scene where she's like like crying outside of timothy chalamet's house i Um, love that scene i love that scene it's hilarious but again it looks like a 23 year old woman crying and whining like a 12 year old and it just is it's very awkward to watch at times yeah um i, I, I and i'm was... glad you i'm glad you brought up the irishman because i was also thinking about that that as well um it works in the irishman because you can de-age these men who have not, who obviously like their body shape has not changed um in the time span that they've de-aged them these little girls like they've grown up in these six seven or eight years like they've matured and grown into their own new different bodies and i just i like they're like they did not like you can't change that with the aging technology. Like you can't put the face of Florence Pugh on a twelve-year-old girl. <laughs> like it just it would just look too weird. Um, I I mean I kind of bought into it too, is because like I think if you had for Amy specifically, if you had a different actress as Amy as she's an adult, like it's then you kind of lose a lot of that character progression because you're you're taken out of it a lot so um and i it's been a while since i've seen it but i think the 90 1994 version has a different amy as an adult i think she's the only one who's different as an adult than she is as a kid um and that's because amy is the youngest of of the four yeah so um i i think they did that too uh uh, and looking back um, to stick on the 94 version, do you remember who played Lori in the 1994 version? Oh, no. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. That. I didn't know this like when I saw it, but I saw it when I was a kid. It is Christian Bale. Is it really? Oh, yeah. That's like... Christian oh, he was, Bale. Like, pretty, he was pretty big at the time when he was a kid because of like, yeah. newsies and stuff. Yeah. So, um, so it's like crazy to think that Christian That's hilarious. Lori. So Yeah. Um, now I got to go back and see it. Yeah, I but like Amy, Amy gets like so much to do and Amy has gotten like a bad rap over the years because people have always kind of seen her as a brat because Mm -hmm. like people care more about like the first half. But um, and she is like a young and she does like kind of horrible things like burn Joe's like only manuscript. (laughs) And uh, but she kind of evolves. She has the best character development out of all of them, too, because of how she how she evolves and how she interacts um, 
they add things in this movie, like a scene with um, Aunt March, who is played by Meryl Streep in this movie, who's also delicious <laughs> in this role. She's yeah. so good. She's so biting. And uh, but she has like these interactions with her and she kind of like really develops a sense of self in the world, the way in a different way that um, the other three do. And uh, so like she's the best character in the second half. And because this movie, because of the way that it's edited and um, set up in these two timelines, like Amy benefits the most too. And like Florence Pugh, like really sells that for me. And I will riot if she doesn't get an Oscar nomination, which, may, <laughs> which is looking may or may not happen. She's on the we'll bubble. See. Yeah, we'll uh, see. Um, I, I would have actually been curious if they would have like, to see like what they would have done like if they would have done this like kind of like boyhood like film this over like the course of seven years oh my gosh, <laughs> wouldn't yeah. that have been like that i think that would have been like so cool if I they mean, would have done that i can uh, i think it's safe to say that this won't be the last little women adaptation we'll yeah. ever see <laughs> yeah so maybe in like the next 30 or 40 years when this is remade again that i i i i think that would actually be very interesting to see um or maybe if like they do like if they do the two sequels or whatever uh joe's boys or little men oh yeah little men <laughs> yeah yeah um, which are which not as well probably, regarded yeah not gonna happen but yeah. um i yeah so i this this movie has been like a long time in the making i know it was like announced in like 2013 that they were gonna like do another little woman um so i just i like i don't know i thought that i thought i think yeah i i wish they would have kind of focused on that approach a little bit more kind of separating the two ages um other than that i that was my only like real harsh criticism other than um yeah i i liked everything else i mean laura dern is like great as well she's great in everything anything so, laura dern's in. yeah i love lord i feel like laura dern kind of plays like two sorts of roles i mean this is a compliment um and she has these like tough woman roles and then she has these like soft, like these like soft and warm roles. And this is yeah. like a very soft and warm role because she plays Marmy. Uh, I kind of I compared her to like the weighted blanket of the four little women. So she's yeah. like the one to kind of comfort them Keep all. Them warm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's uh, she's the one she's the you know, the do gooder, like, oh, we're like we got to give our food to the poor people next door. And she's the, she's like not only the comforter for them, but the comforter for everybody else in town. I know. Oh my God. It's like, I, I do love that they like that keep that scene, um, which is sort of crucial uh, because the marches like feel that they're poor, but number one, but they have, they're like, not, they're they not a, poor. They have a housemaid. So like they're yeah. doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going but, to some fancy balls and they're well, fancy dresses. That is, that is all through Lori and through more um, like Mr. Lawrence because they become like friends with richer yeah. people. Yeah. And uh, so in that defense, like, yes, they, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about not, like the, the new year's ball that they all go to in the beginning. Where they met Laurie. Again, yeah, that's all like they it, it's an interesting sort of class dichotomy because they like they definitely interact with people who are in higher classes mm -hmm. than them, but yeah. they are they themselves are not 
like high class. Right. So, they maybe they're parasites. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> class warfare is the theme of 2019. Yeah. <laughs> so really, I think yeah. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, so like I do find that interesting, and I'm like glad they kept that scene in there because what Marmy is telling them is like, you may think you're poor because like, you're not as rich as Lori and the Lawrences, but like there's so there's always somebody who has it worse than you. So like, I like that lesson that they have in, in yeah. The women. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the, uh, the other performance I'll give a shout out to is our, our lead, Joe, Sersha, Sersha Ronan, mm-hmm. uh, who I think really shined particularly in at the towards the end of the movie. And yes. I yeah. th- think that's a good segue, I guess, into our spoiler filled segment. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. Again, okay. like if you haven't, if you haven't, uh, read Little Women or know the story if it wasn't spoiled for you in 1994. If uh, Or the five friend, times before that. Yeah. Or friends didn't ruin it for you. Like, there's there's all been all sorts of spoilers out there since the Civil War, but we'll, we'll go ahead anyway and give a spoiler warning. Um, five, four, three, two, one. And, okay. So, watching watching search and um at the end Sir, yeah. no, I, I say i actually say that because um, I was, no i just thought that was really adorable because i was search and timmy yeah, yeah. <laughs> timmy uh watching i i watched an interview with greta gerwig and she casually referenced she casually called Saoirse Ronan Saoirse and I thought it was the most adorable yeah. thing. I was so, like, they call her Saoirse! So Greta Gerwig can call Saoirse Ronan Saoirse, so now you yeah. can call Saoirse Ronan I know, I know. Got it. We, okay. we go way back. Yeah. Cool. So, well. Yeah. Saoirse, uh, so, like, Saoirse Ronan gets, like, so much great stuff to do at the end, um, particularly because she is closest with Beth, the sister Beth, who dies. Uh, oh, and, womp womp. Of Scarlet uh, Fever, right? Yeah, so actually, it is so much worse. It's kind of worse in the book of what happens. So she contracts contracts Scarlet Fever in the book because a baby dies in her arms. Yeah, And, like, they kind of cut that from the movie. They don't talk about the baby dying in the arms, but they mention that she contracted Scarlet Fever. And um, that just kind of made her... She contracted that when she was young, and she just kind of stayed sickly pretty much throughout her life and uh she ends up dying you don't quite know what she dies of and um but that's because in the 1860s we didn't have like the wellness culture that we do yeah. <laughs> in 2019 so yeah. well they just i think i think i remember like she just contracted scarlet fever and just never got better she would just throughout the book just kind yeah. of got sick and it just ultimately like her immune system just wore out so yeah, um, yeah, exactly. And um, actually, I thought it was so beautiful of how they edited this in between the two timelines because you yeah, see her, yeah. um, you see her getting sick with scarlet fever in one timeline, and simultaneously, uh, in a later timeline, um, you watch Sir Ronan Joe come down the stairs uh, to see if 
Beth is essentially okay. And in the earlier timeline, when she gets better, she sees Beth at the bottom of the stairs and like has this like warm, happy smile on her face. And then instantly right after that, you see Joe walk down the stairs and you see Marmy crying because Beth had died. And it is so powerful. And I was bawling buckets of tears. So, and... I mean, I wasn't. I guess that makes me a soulless individual. I thought it was very, very well done. Yeah. I um, Smart, very I, smart decision. I also consider myself most like Beth out of the four. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm like 75% Beth and like 25% Amy. Uh, but so yeah. I've always kind of um, resonated with Beth a little bit more. Yeah. And... Uh, so that scene, like in particular, hits me hard, and yeah, I'm more like ninety percent Meg and like ten percent Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, really? Because I kind of think you're. Little, I think you're kind of like Amy. Really? Really? Like yeah, an older I, Amy? Okay. I love Amy. I love Amy. I All just right. said I was Amy. <laughs> you like Amy because she's whiny, and that's why I like her. Are you and serious? she has funny lines, and you're funny. <laughs> I think I'm a smart, individual, strong, independent woman. Okay. So is Amy. So, so is am... Amy. So is Amy. <laughs> no, Amy is just looking for love the whole time. And... No, no, Amy. Remember, she has the great line: "I want to be great or nothing." Yeah. She is like has these and that like line at the end too when she's um, talking about like the importance of writing stories down, like you write things, um, writing things makes it important. Like, what a great line. So, yeah. he has... Okay, all right, I'll take it. Amy Actually, is great. Let's yeah. be honest. Let's be honest. We're all, we're all more like Anne March. <laughs> like, not giving a shit about the yeah, Exactly. Like, <laughs> so, you will be the one to well, carry on your family because the rest of them are just, like... Lost a lost cause. So. Well, if I could have the money that Aunt March has, I will take it. <laughs> yeah, I know. and we all want to be Meryl. We all want to be Meryl one day. Yeah. We'll yeah. all be one of Meryl's characters. So, except for Ricky in the Flash, <laughs> I don't want to be Ricky in the Flash. Oh yeah. Oh, I forgot about that movie. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of bad we... movies, yeah. Can we go back to Jake's question? <laughs> no, earlier? no. Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, so back to Saoirse Ronan and, like, a lot of the great stuff she gets to do. So she gets to, like, interact with Beth and grieve for Beth because she was closest with her. And, uh, also, um, the scene, one of the best scenes is when, um, Lori, who is her childhood, um, neighbor and, like, best friend proposes to Joe and um, Joe turns Laurie down. And Laurie's mm. played by Timothy Chalamet, by the way, guys. Yeah. Uh, and it is, like, so heartbreaking to watch because you feel... I really feel for Laurie in that scene, actually, because I have uh, declared my feelings for many a people and been shot down oh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so my heart breaks for Laurie in that scene. <laughs> yeah. And... But, uh, but Laurie, Laurie just... He knows he's like Laurie's like a guy like he knows that he's like a good looking guy and like he's he's a lover he's a lover he's not a fighter he's, um, a, he's kind of a playboy he is he's a little not... bit of a playboy and he yeah. knows he can he knows he can get like any girl he wants um especially like like that really came through like in the scene where he's like drunk and like 
trying to um, like hit on Amy at, but like she got, she got mad at him and walked out. Um, But he was like, definitely like walking down like those two girls and like, like made a scene at the party. Um, So like, like my heart did not really break for Lori at all because he's a playboy and he knows he's like, like he knows he's a good looking guy. All, um, so part of the reason that my heart breaks for Laurie, particularly in that scene and knowing what's coming to is uh, because he does like, he loves Joe. Joe is his number one. And yeah. then um, he, I still maintain that he more or less settles for Amy. And, he does. He does. Yeah. And, and I love that they, the word settle is like a very 2019 word or at least a modern word. And uh, in this context, and Amy says it, and I actually loved that they added it because it's just anachronistic enough that it works. Mm-hmm. And she, um, Amy, as an adult, says to Lori, like, uh, I will not, like, have you settle for me. And, like, that is exactly, I think, what Lori's doing. He's like, okay, I can't have Joe. I'll take the next best thing, which is her, like, younger, uh, attractive, ambitious sister, Amy. So... Yeah. Um, so then, like, he goes for it, yeah. and he's, like, he's fine with that, but he's settling. But then and... there's a scene later where Joe realizes, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have let him get go away, or may- or let him get away. Maybe I should, like, go after him when he comes home. And I think it's, um, is it, I think it's Meg that asks him, asks Joe, she's like, do you love him? And she says, she doesn't say that she loves him. She says, I just want to be loved. Um, and I yeah. thought that was very powerful. So there's uh, this ties into one of um, one of her great scenes, and this is in the trailer uh, where uh, Joe is talking to Marmy, and she particularly she talks about women, and so she says, so I'm paraphrasing here, but she says like uh, women have minds of their own, you know, they're smart, ambitious, they have talents. Uh, and I'm so sick of people saying that love is all that a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. And then she pauses and then Saoirse Ronan's delivery on this line is so good. And then she says, but I'm so lonely. Yeah. And that was so heartbreaking. Yeah. And it's like, it's like she wants to, it's like a woman who wants to have it all. It's it's like she wants she wants to have she wants to have it all from life, um, and she doesn't want to be tied down. She she doesn't think she wants to be tied down by a man until she does, you know, really go after her dreams, but then realizes how lonely the world is and it, you know, how how great it would be to have love and have a companion. So, yeah, love is a very strong, powerful thing. And um, this would be a great time to bring up the the controversial aspect and something I was referring to earlier, which is uh, Professor Bayer, Frederick, uh, the person who in the book, she ultimately marries mm-hmm. in the movie. It's a little more questionable <laughs> in this movie. Yeah. It's a little questionable. Uh, and so it's always been a controversial well, it's aspect. It's a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. Happy ish. Con- happy ish. But... Yeah. It's it's controversial because people readers were always like, well, Joe is independent. Why is she getting married? Like why? Like a lot of from the feminist sort of argument, people say like she shouldn't like this goes against her character type. Yeah. And re- remember that Joe is a stand in for Louisa May Alcott. Joe is Louisa May Alcott's avatar. 
And so Louisa May Alcott in real life never married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all that she did, she, she wrote books like again and again and was like one of the most successful self-made women in the 19th century. And so Joe, when you look at Joe, you just have to think about Louisa May Alcott. And in and Louisa May Alcott was put under pressure in real life by her editor uh, to essentially marry uh, marry the women off because like that is what like fans like said they were like clamoring for they like were just wondering like who are they going to marry because this was like the 19th century and very patriarchal and um, so she essentially like not not caved but wrote that into the story Mm -hmm. she's kind of like well is this what the readers want like here you go and um they put this into the movie and i think this is so genius uh because it's kind of like they have their cake and eat it too yeah so it becomes this um this very meta ending where joe (laughs) writes the story of little women about her like her own experiences and then it kind of it blurs the lines of what happens between her and Frederick because she like she has this back and forth with her editor, who's played by a great Tracy Letts, by the way. Yes. Yes. Um, and I love Tracy Letts. He's yeah, awesome. he's such a great character actor. Yeah, and he um, he kind of like goes back and forth with her of like whether they should get together at the end or not and the way that the movie ends it's like kind of unclear if she actually put this into her story or if it was just something that that happened yeah happened or they imagined it or like what could have been so um so it's very it's very interesting they have their cake and they eat it too yeah and i i think in a good way because like that is true to louisa may alcott's story of her never marrying and her never um her just continuing her writing and joe like at the very end the very like the very last shot the opening shots and the end shots are fantastic uh so like the very last shot is her watching her book being published and it's uh it's as if she is watching her baby it's like as if she's watching uh like a maternity ward and she's seeing her book like the like finished on her book the way that like a new mother would look at the maternity ward and her baby sitting in a crib in a hospital and it's like it's really beautiful and uh it was a great way to end it on like a modern sort of updated note. So it, it felt really great and really yeah. natural to me. Yeah. Um, and I also want to like touch on real quick, the score. Um, I thought the score was actually phenomenal. Uh, it was done by Alexander. Uh, it's a plot. Best plot. It's a plot. Yeah. Um, and he's done such movies as like the curious case of Benjamin Button, the queen, um, fantastic Mr. Fox, all these. And he's won multiple um, Oscars and has been nominated for multiple Oscars. Uh, for original score, um, and I just want to, I just want to touch on the score real quick, and Agreed. I think like the ending, like just kind of like tied it all together with the, um, like the beautiful score, um, the beautiful writing, uh, and it just, like it was, it, I just, it all worked, it all worked very well together. I, I think so too. Like Alexander Desplat has like a lot of 
fast, zippy sort of tracks and this works like really well in little women because like this movie is pretty breezy yeah so even though it's over two hours but like it moves quickly like you said like if you go to the bathroom you might you're probably gonna miss something you're gonna miss a lot yeah yeah and like that is to alexander desplat's credit too i think it was the perfect uh composer to get to do the score yeah it it definitely um his score uh definitely reflects between the the years and then kind of some it's hard to describe, but it kind of like sums up at the end. Like it, it like finishes like on a very like, no pun intended, high note. So yeah, yeah. And um, again, like this is the strength to the ending because a lot of this stuff like wouldn't feel like natural or would like be on like a downer sort of note. So that's why I think like the editing just like works so well because I think some of the, like the sloppier stuff would would appear at the end of the movie and you don't want to end on that. And this like ends on a really, really good note. Yeah. So I agree. So anyway, (laughs) yeah, we've we've been talking about that for about an hour. I know. I know. Well, before we get into Oscar revisionist history, do you want to give your final grade? Um, I give little women a solid B. Uh, This is one of my favorite movies of the year. So I, I give this movie as as somebody who's read the book or who read the book honestly after I saw the trailer like for this yeah. for the 2019 version because I had never read it before and um, really enjoyed the book but like the movie felt like it tapped into uh, hidden treasures that were missing from the book and it really brought this warm and bold vision from Greta Gerwig to life and uh, I'm really 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 pleased with the results so yeah I, <laughs> that was a long way of saying this is an A for yeah me. no I yeah I I love the movie I just don't think I loved it as much as you did I was a little bit more nitpicky on the time jumps the back and forth and just not being able to believe um, the age differences between the same actresses so overall but everything else was great um, I really did enjoy it so solid Beautiful. B for me all right okay well uh we will get into oscar revisionist history now so i believe it's your turn this week correct I think. it is i'm yeah. actually excited for this week because yeah i mean i think you're gonna like if you're gonna ask me like what i think you're gonna do i'm i have no clue because there's literally ten thousand different directions you can take this so the direction that I took was the literal route. So I want to talk about actual little women. Uh, of course you do. So, it's going to make this uh, very difficult. Okay. Do Do you know who the youngest Oscar nominee for Best Actress was? Anna Paquin. Ever. Anna Paquin. No, but that was supporting, and she oh, won. Okay. So this is nominee, nominee for best actress. Youngest nominee for best actress. Um, I'm trying to think, people are people are like, uh, it's it's recent. It's within the past ten years. Oh, um, no idea. It is a convention. Uh, Wallace, Wallace, yeah, for *Beasts of Southern Wild*. Yep. Southern okay. Wild. Yep. Okay. Yes. And that's right. Uh, so this was uh, for the film year uh, 2013 mm-hmm. and uh, oh no 2012. 2012. It was yeah. 2012. And they so this is another great year for Little Women too because the winner for Best Actress that year was Jennifer Lawrence 
mm. for Silver Linings Playbook. And she is the second youngest winner ever for Best Actress. So, yeah. uh, so that was, I thought, very fitting. Like, the little women. Very, uh, very good. Very good. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so for Best Actress for Oscar Vinish History, we have the winner, Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. Kevenjane Wallace for Beast of the Southern Wild. We have Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, mm, yeah. And we have uh, Emmanuel uh, Riva for Amour, who I believe is the oldest nominee yeah, ever for Best I Actress. remember that year as the oldest and the youngest. Like, yeah. It was a big deal, yeah, to be nominated in the same category. Yeah. Ever. So, what a, like, so. Yeah, what a history making year yeah. for Best Actress. And last but not least, uh, Naomi Watts for The Impossible. Yeah. So, uh, well, do you do you need a moment to think? No, or, no, no, no. I, I I've got it, but I don't know if yeah. you wanted to start or, or I can start. Doesn't no, matter. if you okay. if you've got it, I would. Yeah. You. So, um, okay, this year, I I can't remember if I saw a more or not. I'm trying to think. I, you yeah, may have fallen, yes. fallen asleep. I... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I did. And um, I was yeah, confused why that... I mean, I wasn't confused. I understood why that was nominated. But um, so I'm going to say in fifth place, I'm going to put Emmanuel Riva just because I completely forgot about her performance and I like completely forgot she was a nominee and I completely forgot she was an actress. Um, so we'll put her as number five. Um, I'm sure people are yelling at me right now and getting mad, and that's fine. And, um, but I'm not, you know. I don't know anyone other yeah. than you and me who's seen a more. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> um, so... Number four, I'm going to put Naomi Watts for The Impossible. Um, I did enjoy that movie, and I thought she was very good in it. Uh, I believe it was Tom Holland's first movie, and when he was very young. Um, if you haven't seen The Impossible, you should go back and watch it. It's it's really good, and the visual effects are actually incredible. Um that's like the one thing I remember from that, from that movie is like the whole um, it's the movie about the, the, um, the tsunami, the tsunami that impacts. The tsunami. Yeah. Um, Tom Holland is incredible. He's really good. In in the impossible. Yeah. And I feel like the impossible is one of these, like definitely one of those movies that have been written off in time. Um, but it's just so good. And like, when I think about it, I think about the visual effects, just it's absolutely stunning. Um, anyway, number three, I'll say Quibenshine Wallace. Um, I thought she was great in Beast of the Southern Wild. I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie. Um, I saw it one time and I I thought it was okay, but it wasn't great. But I thought she was great. Um, but we haven't seen her anything since then, and I'd like to know what she's been up to. Wait, Annie. She was an Annie. Oh. <laughs> the remake. That was... I somehow missed that. Um, I, I, you'd yeah. be forgiven. So, okay, number two and number one are going to be a very close, are very close for me. Um, I think Zero Dark Thirty and Silver Linings Playbook are, so, are two of the greatest movies of 2012. Um, and that is solely because of these two actresses. Um, Jessica Chastain is incredible. I think she delivers a very, very gut-wrenching performance in Zero Dark Thirty. Um, I think the movie is very important, especially for the time. Um, and especially even like today, it's still being referenced in other movies, such as The Report. Um, but I'm going to go her, even though these are very, very close. I'm going Jessica Chastain as number two. Number one for me is Jennifer Lawrence. 
this is, I believe, like her greatest performance. I think Jennifer Lawrence is amazing in Silver Linings Playbook. I think this, I think Silver Linings Playbook is one of the greatest, and a little tease here, it's in my top 50 for the decade. Um, I think there's nothing, I, I think she gives an absolutely flawless performance. I love just Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I I love everything about her. I, I think she is one of the most talented actresses working today, um, even though she hasn't done much today. Um, but the, I feel like the whole teens are like, like when you think of movies, like she's going to be one of these actresses. She will be one of the actresses you think of. Um, she, I think she's a just, uh, yeah, there's, she's perfect. So yeah, that's, that's my, that's my take. Great. I think this is a pretty strong year. I think 2012 was a very strong year for movies in general. Yeah. Uh, so I, um, I like all these performances, but my ranking would go number five. I would actually put Kevin Wallace and Beast of the Southern Wild. I think she's great. I think it's a great um, child performance. Uh, I think it's, it's a little hard to tell if it's a great performance because how great Kevin is, or if it's under really good direction from Ben Zeichlin. Uh, right, that's, so, a, that's a fair point. Yeah. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to say because that movie is so out there mm-hmm. that like, it's, I don't know if it, I really, to this day, I, I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it matters. <laughs> I don't know if it matters. Like, so, um, so, like, if I'm, like, voting on performance, just performance and acting, and, like, I don't know if it's great acting or not. So, that question mark for me puts it at number five. Yeah. Uh, number four, I do think, I think Emmanuel Rivera is really great in Amour. She's, like, the only reason to see that movie. Uh, yeah. And um, it's, like, a woman with dementia. But, uh, which, you know, like... <laughs> I mean, like, it's great. It's, like, fine. It's, it's not a movie I'm ever going to watch again. Yeah. I'm just going to say that. Well, so... if, you, if you ever need to fall asleep one night. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she is great. Like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, whatever she's able to embody is works really well in that mm-hmm. so, role. So put her at number four. I, I could remember the role. Remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three, uh, I'm going to put Naomi Watts in The Impossible. I think this is one of Naomi Watts' strongest roles, too. I think Naomi Watts is either, like, really, really good in something or really, really bad. She's all over the place. So, and I think this is one of her really, really good ones. Mm-hmm. And, um, and like, I, I think this movie, like, will age very, very well. Like, when people go back and watch it because of all the things that you mentioned, because of Naomi Watts, because of Tom Holland, because of the effects, the emotionality of it all. It's just... I think the impossible really works really, really well as a movie. So, uh, so that's my number three. So we have the same top two and um, it's the same order too. So my number two is Jessica Chastain, zero dark 30. I adore zero dark 30 and I am still mad that the report <laughs> threw zero dark 30 under the bus. Yep. Uh, I, I just said that just to get under your skin. Yeah. So. Oh, that made me so mad when they did that, too. <laughs> this gets into broader conversations about torture, which we know, since we're at the end of the podcast, we won't get into. But Oh, no, uh, let's get right into it. Yeah. Do we have another three hours to kill? Really? Uh, so, uh, 
So I just like, but it goes into this like broader thing of like some people hate Zero Dark Thirty because like they think it has this like stain on it, and it really bothers me that like even if they're pointing at one thing in the movie, like i.e. torture, which I do not think Zero Dark Thirty um, <laughs> uh, is like a pro torture movie, but that's my issue. And so they point to that. They're like, "How can you like Zero Dark Thirty? It's pro torture." It's like. Did you not watch, like, everything else yeah. that happens in that movie? Yeah. And so even if that were the case, yeah. like, were you not paying attention to everything else? So, and a lot of that is because of Jessica Chastain being so fucking brilliant. So um, she's just, like, Ugh. really, We really almost made it. it through this whole podcast, Andrew, without getting an E, and now we're going to get an E for explicit. Oh, I, oh, I always put an E <laughs> for explicit. <laughs> but... Uh, she is so great. She is so great too, and uh, she like carries that movie too. And she, I think, she really would have won this year if um, if Jennifer Lawrence didn't win. And this is like one of those like interesting. Oscar well, that's usually how effects. it happens. Yeah, yeah. I find these like <laughs> these really interesting Oscar domino effects. So because if if she had won this year, if Jessica Chastain won then Jennifer Lawrence, without a doubt, would have won the next year for American Hustle for Best Supporting Actress, Mm -hmm. which means Lupita Nyong'o would not have ever won uh, the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm glad. I just think, like, Jennifer Lawrence was creeping up there real close at the end there with American Hustle. And Mm, and I think she's amazing in American Hustle. But, like, I want Lupita Nyong'o to have that Oscar and so I'm glad she has that Oscar, but I'm also glad that Jennifer Lawrence has her Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook because it's my number one from that year. But at the same time, I want Zero Dark Thirty and like Jessica Chastain to have that Oscar for that movie. Yeah. So like you can't you can't win. Like there's no yeah. way you, can you win. can't have it both that, ways. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but this is why I'm going to keep fighting. To expand the category to ten actresses and ten actors. To well, that would just mean more nominees. It doesn't. It wouldn't mean like a, she would win. Yeah, I, I'm just. I'm just. My point is that there's more. I, I'm just trying to highlight the talent. Any, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll save a little more on my love for Silver Lines Playbook because sneak peek too. That's will also likely be making an appearance on my best of yeah. decade list. Yeah. Um, good, good, uh, good ORH there. I, I really liked it. That was interesting. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I was, I was so glad you didn't go back to like 1994 little women. Oh, I was very God. nervous for that. <laughs> no. Yeah. I was well, like, I know. 90, I, like, I was 94 like, was a great year for movies. I know, so like yeah. we probably wouldn't see in a lot of them. Yeah. I was like, I know Susan Sarandon was in that, but like, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Winona Ryder, Claire yeah. Danes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually don't remember a whole lot about it, other than uh, I, I watched it in like my like in English class or something. Like when we were like reading the book, it was torture and. But like, the part that I remember the most from the movie, the '94 movie, is Amy falling in the ice. That's <laughs> like what. <laughs> that is like the most memorable scene to me for yeah. some reason. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you just enjoyed it too much. No, I remember being scared by it. I was like, oh, well, and I yeah. was like terrified. That Teach you a like, lesson: don't go skating yeah. on lakes. Yeah, God. Like, well, you know, 
Thanks to climate change, that's not going to Yeah, that ain't happen. ever going to happen. <laughs> unless you live in, like, Alaska or the yeah. North Pole. So. All right. Anything else? Yeah. No, the... Um, bad girl up? Yeah, the last thing I'll say is, like, I hope really people will give this a shot because it's not getting a whole lot of awards love, even though people generally seem to like it. And um, I think that's in part because they're facing some difficulties getting men to the to see this movie uh so i like think this does have universal appeal and i think even people who didn't necessarily like the source material to begin with like you could end up at yeah. least liking liking the movie look at me so, yeah i liked it it was good uh and i didn't like the original so yeah so i think i think this is way more accessible than people might fear so I would recommend going to see it. And if you need to drag people to go see it, they'll probably like it more than, yeah. than they anticipate. Or just, just hit up Andrew. He'll go with you. I, I will. I will see this again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like bring the bucket, bring the bucket so all my tears can fall. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll gladly, gladly partake in that again. Cool. So. All, right. all right. Cool. Well, thanks yeah. for listening. And uh, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll catch you next time. For our best of best of yeah. episodes, yeah. I'm excited. Yep, bring on the new year and reflecting on the old. So, all right, that, all right. On that note, see ya. See ya.